Hey everybody, welcome to Artifice episode 94. Um, I usually record these intros one week in advance of releasing the episode, um, but since at the beginning of this year I decided to take the last week of every month off, I'm recording this two weeks before uh, right now when you're hearing it, and um, I'm I've, I'm just sitting here thinking like what what's going to be kind of going on in this week where you're actually hearing this and feeling all excited um, because this week. Uh, on April 8th, which is going to be two days from when you're hearing this, I'm getting my second Pfizer vaccine, which is super, super exciting. I feel like things are turning around. I, I'm sure I said something similar last week, but it's feeling like even more. Um, uh, Andrew and I, by this point, um, will have gotten a delivery of mulch last uh <laughs> last Thursday. So if you look on, you know, my Instagram, there might be pictures of that there. I don't know, because right now I'm in the past and it hasn't happened yet. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we like to do yard work in the spring. And I ordered like a, a dump truck of mulch last week. So we can kind of like finish up. Um, there's still part of our yard that like just is is dirt, just regular dirt. Um and hopefully by this point in actual real time, um, the yard will be fully covered in mulch, which will be very exciting. What else? Um, in this time, I think you guys will be hearing this on April 6th, right? Um, my songwriting course will have just come out on April 1st. So if you are interested in songwriting, go check that out. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I think that's, you know, I think that's all the stuff. So, so here I am. I'm today, today is Monday, March 22nd in real time for me. And now I have, I'm just looking forward to all these things that are going to happen in the next two weeks. Um, today's episode is with my new friend, Lindsay Levitt, um, who is an author and I loved talking with her. She was so easy to talk to and, um, you know, you guys know, I always ask all of my guests about their, what they were like as, you know, a creative child. And, um, I really like to talk to people about, you know, how their kind of creative identity was forming. And I find that a lot of people don't, um, they don't like think that much about that as adults. They kind of have to think about it. And Lindsay was just like ready. She just, she had answers and memories about what her, what her creative identity was like as a child. And, I just really liked it. I found that very exciting and I want to have more conversations with people who've spent time thinking about um, the, you know, origins of their creative identity and how they've kind of watched it change throughout their lives. So, um, and that's just one little bit of all the, the good stuff we got into in this interview. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Lindsay now. Lindsay Levitt is the author of over a dozen books for children, tweens, and teens, many of which have appeared on lists like YALSA, Best Fiction for Young Adults, and Amazon's Best Books of the Year. Her next book, Willis Wilbur Wows the World, about a nine-year-old life coach, comes out March 2022. She moved to Utah five years ago to blend a family and watch the snow fall from the safety of her home office. Um... I don't think Lindsay needs more of an introduction. She's awesome. This conversation is awesome. I hope you guys are doing great, enjoying the budding new spring. Um, as always, I would love to hear from you and kind of hear what creative stuff you're working on, what you're excited about, what's going on in your life. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. Here comes Lindsay. 
Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. This is like a really specific, like right. predetermined kind of a, like we know what type of conversation right. we're having, but like small talk, I like, I'm yeah. ruined. And it's weird because um, I don't like small talk to yeah. begin with. I don't either. So, and I feel like writers, especially, it's always like, if you go to dinner with like a group of writers, they're like, so tell me your relationship with your mother. And you're like, hold on, let me order an appetizer. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's like, you just get right to like the meat of it always. So small talk. It's just, uh, the weather is fine. Yeah. Thank you. And it's, I've, I've been fine editing that out of my life in general. So, um, I think I feel the same way. Um, so I like to start with everybody by asking what you were like as a creative child. Okay, so I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, versus Las Vegas anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> and my, uh, so my mom, can I go generational here? So of my course, mom, yeah. uh, my mom is the daughter of immigrant parents. She's first person in her family born in America. She's German, and her and my dad grew up in Salt Lake. And uh, right right around the time I was born, moved to Las Vegas, and so my mom. She grew up in a home that was maybe mildly dysfunctional, like yeah. probably dysfunctional, maybe just difficult, whatever, yeah. and had a lot of the challenges of that. And so my my mom wanted, she was always the good girl. She had a, mm. a brother who uh, struggled with addiction. Um, there was a lot of contention in her home. And her mom, largely, I think because of her German accent, which it's like, not a cool accent to have in that time period, especially. <laughs> yeah. and, um, so she didn't go to a lot of my mom's stuff. So mm. when I was a kid in uh, like 80s, 90s, suburbia, Las Vegas, my mom signed us up for everything. Yeah. And so I, I think when I was younger, I equated creativity with being performative. Sure. And so, you know, I did piano I did flute I did I played a whole bunch of different sports I was in theater yeah. uh, there was a summer that my mom like signed me up for synchronized swimming and I didn't know until she dropped me off oh at, at Garside Junior High and <laughs> had a very cold pool on a very hot day and it's like okay jump in and do the floating dolphin or whatever it's called yeah wasn't wasn't my future synchronized <laughs> swimming um so there, there was something like the good and the bad of that was it made me very performance based. Sure. And I think I figured this out maybe a year or two ago that I, I thought I like magically got anxiety a few years ago. Oh. No, everything like I had anxiety totally. and I had either performance like high, like this need to do it right and do it well yeah. at what cost. I still don't know. I sure. still don't know why I have that compulsion. Um, but that was like, if, if somebody wasn't 
watching it. Like mm-hmm. if a performer performs on a stage and right. the tree right. falls in the forest, right, right, like right. what's the correlation? So, um, I, the things that were like the creative pieces of me that are now like what compels me and what is yeah. what I've built my vocation around. Um, that was kind of like something I was, <sighs> not fearful of it was just like this doesn't have as much value oh my gosh I Lindsay I love this so much (laughs) I just recorded like a monologue yesterday two days ago for like the two-year anniversary of this podcast and was talking about like these exact same things because I think I feel I felt really similarly and I, I love this answer too um you know when I ask my guests this question like a lot of them will kind of like maybe their first answer sort of edits. Like they'll, they'll tell me like the things they were doing as children that like directly relate to what they're doing now, Mm -hmm. which is not always like really what, you know, you felt was creative when you Mm -hmm. were a child. So I think, I think like, you know, to, to kind of tease apart, like these things that are like, the arts Mm -hmm. from like what is my actual like core of my creative development it's like it's a conversation that I love so much so um the how would you describe the things that you kind of felt like weren't valuable like what are they or what were they well it's also like how do you how do you define creation or being a creator or all of that too because um you know sports uh sports and and also what's the reason behind your creative endeavors? Because I think that getting to that core of that, why, like, am I creating to connect? Am I creating to be heard? Am I creating to like fill a void? Like there's that to begin with. And you can find that in sports too. So I think, I think that sometimes that's we're, we are creating something, whether that's a play, whether that's, uh, a, a, a body to create that like because right. the dance like dancing is considered the arts and mm. they're both like this very physical thing um so I I think for me okay I'll back up so when I was in elementary school I was I was very bright I'm still very bright like yay brains that's yeah. great <laughs> um but that was my brand and that was yeah. a lot of my identity. And I was also what I hate this term. This is how I was defined in the eighties, but I was a tomboy. I had like this Joey Lawrence bowl cut. Cool. And, um, so even like issues of like, where do I fit? Like, what is, what is my gender identity? What is my, yeah. um, identity in the classroom? What is my identity sure. in my home? Um, when it got to fifth grade, that was kind of like when I started to burst in that sense of, um, I was, I reached this point where I was very analytical about it. And it was, uh, I, I wanted to be liked. I wanted friends. I wanted to be popular, all of those like social desires. And so I wanted to figure out like, why, why didn't I have that? Like I'm doing all of these things. And also I was like mildly mediocre at all of these things I was doing. Um, so for me where I really started to like find my creative self was through humor. Okay. And so I, uh, and, and I'm getting my, uh, masters of fine arts right now. And I wrote my creative, um, my critical thesis on this, but, um, I remember in sixth grade, 
like looking around and it was like, what's everyone's brand? Like what, yeah. what's their shtick? Right. And, um, I had where I being like the sporty girl or being the smart girl or whatever, it was like, it's like not, it didn't have as much value, which mm. is so unfortunate. Like that's, yeah. we could do a whole podcast yeah. on like, as women, like, yes, how we're viewed and how that input impacts how we view ourselves and how like we're consumed, how that impacts yeah. how we create. Absolutely. But, um, we, I, we can talk about, I mean, we can, <laughs> we, I want this conversation to be like, you know, whatever you're like lit up about okay. right now. We, so, I go I off mean, on tangents and then I'm like, wait, what was the question? I'll always bring, well, so, I think what I had, what I had asked and like the tangent is fine. Like you mm-hmm. go. And if I, if it matters to me, like I'll bring mm-hmm. us back. Otherwise I'll just follow you. Okay. But I, what I had asked was what, like, could you put um, names on these things that you felt weren't valued? Right. Um, I, I feel like I'm still putting names on sure. those things. Me too. Um, but I, it was, if, if it's something that you can't try out for the school talent show with, yeah, yeah. then, uh, and also I'm a Leo. So I think that's sure. uh part, like I, my natural my instinct is Leo to <laughs> live your life on a stage. I'm, yeah. I'm a Sagittarius rising though. So I'm, I'm not as, I'm not fully, um, I identify. <laughs> yeah. Penny. Um, but I, I think what it was, was I had to find a safe space within all of these things because I was spread out all these different ways. I also had, you know, my parents, my parents did a good job of like, let's try everything and you, you do you and figure out you. That's great. And so I was given a lot of opportunity But then again, my anxiety was, I was a perfectionist and it was, but what if I fail? What if I'm not enough? I think a lot of, for me growing up, it was this misbelief about myself that I wasn't enough. So humor though, humor is beautiful because it's comfortable. It can be a great shield against all of those things. So I like did a sixth grade version of like the study of what humor is. And I remember I ordered all these joke books from my scholastic book order. Great. And I like, <laughs> you know, would watch, uh, I don't know, Saved by the Bell, which is not like the most paramount <laughs> example of comedic timing, but, um, I, I researched it and yeah. I was in class and we were doing an Egyptian unit and I made a joke about like, Oh, he should go to his mummy instead of his mommy or whatever. And yeah. I got this laugh. Yeah. And I remember that feeling of like, okay, they're laughing on my terms. Like I created this. Right. And right. that's really like the, the long and short of like what got me into writing even was I wanted to, I wanted that feeling and I wanted to create yeah. community, a connection, right. um, but it was still performative. Right. Too. Like you're not, it's not, you're not like just the author of the words. You're the author of like this feeling, like right. this type of yes. thing. Yeah. I get that. And, and there's so much more wiggle room, like, uh, in the sense of, again, having this anxiety of like, Oh, I just need to achieve. Yeah. Um, if you're on the stage, like I did theater, if you're on the stage and you forget your line, like, you can maybe cover it up, but like, that's a mistake. Or if you're playing softball and you strike out, Mm -hmm. you've made a mistake. And so it's something that's quantifiable. And then 
you know, for me, how I kind of would collect that sometimes and be like, am I the sum of these mistakes? Yes. All of that. But something like creativity, um, like in this pure sense, you know, I I can make a joke and maybe it doesn't land, but it didn't, it wasn't as quantifiable. I totally get that. Um, my, I have a master's degree in jazz performance Mm -hmm. and I think when I first, like, I, I wasn't really introduced to jazz until I was like, you know, 16 years old, maybe. And I think that's one of the things that drew me to that genre because of the improvisational mm-hmm. quality. It's also not quantifiable in the same mm-hmm. way, or at least that's definitely how I felt about it as a teen. Mm-hmm. Turns out like some things about it are <laughs> very quantifiable, but, um, but yeah, I think I, I relate to that as well. And I also like grew up with a lot of like kind of perfectionism and like high, high performance. Like I was a very precocious child mm-hmm. Um, and, and did a lot of things like pretty well. Um, and yeah, this is the thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, like this year, I think, I mean, yeah, it's probably a combination of a lot of things, including all my gigs got canceled, Mm -hmm, (laughs) you mm -hmm. know? So like, um, but I think like, I've been, I've been reflecting a lot on like, yeah, these more internal types of creativity of like, how are we creative with like problem solving? How Mm -hmm. are we creative with like perspective shifting? Um, and I think I was pretty good at that kind of stuff as a child too, but yeah, it was not the stuff that anybody was valuing. So I I relate to it. Right. And if you're creating, like if your gigs get canceled and no one's consuming or, or viewing or whatever, what you've created, it's like, I, I, am, am I oblivious or am I, uh, um, uh, I know what you're saying. Uh, obsolete. Yes. Yeah. This, I will do this 10 more times. I promise with words, it's been comical. Um, and you're trying to stay relevant, yeah. but like what's relevant at this point in time right. anyway. Right. Right. Um, so which I think we all have creative crises at different times yeah. in our car- careers or like just Lives. as people, yeah. Anyway, and I think we're all in that anyway, which yeah. it's great that we have this shared uh, experience. Totally. But it also can get, for me right now, I mean, like Taylor Swift, yay for your second album. <laughs> but like, she did three. But I think there's, <laughs> I know, she did three this in tw- during the pandemic. Yeah. Three and albums. it's like, I wrote a poem a month ago, like (laughs) what I'm able to create. And so we're, it still is performative based, even if it's something that's just in us, which, um, will that ever be, you you can't, it's a soup, you know, you can't separate a lot of it, but you mean it's like performative to yourself, even if like other people don't know about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, I, I feel conflicted about these things as well. Like, I'll just talk a little while you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think I feel like, yeah, I call it like productivity, but mm-hmm. I mean it like, like we use the word producer and not like, I'm very productive, but mm-hmm. like, you know, just producing like creative matter. And I really do like in a very pure, genuine sense, like I really enjoy that. Um, I like to make things, so mm-hmm. I make things. But there is, like, you're right. It's in this soup. Once I've made something, then I feel like, well, I need to get it out, you Mm -hmm. know, or I need to, 
like, I don't know, as soon as I've made something, like, regardless of how, like, pure the intention was of, like, making the thing, as soon as it's done, like, the feedback or lack thereof does matter to me. Right. <laughs> like, it does, like, you know, kind of, like, rejection is still rejection, even if, like, you didn't make a thing seeking validation. Well, and validation comes in all forms when it's your job. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert in big magic talks about like the difference between, right. Like a job and a vocation and a career. And, um, that, that's what I've been thinking a lot about lately too, because I do work. I want money for that work. Totally. And I'm sure in any creative field, like in publishing, publishing is a machine and, your value, like you, yeah. your work is yeah. assigned a monetary value right. and that's com- always shifting a book. I sold 12 years ago, like my debut book versus what I sell now, my value, my monetary value for my words has right. changed. And it's, you have to say like, uh, Sarah Zar, who, uh, has been a Utah based author. She's written a really great book called, I think it's courageous creativity. And she has a podcast about living the creative life too. But I remember like very early in my career, I had heard her speak and she had said like, a book is just a book. You are not your book, which is a turns duh, but also so profound because we, we attach ourselves to our art and, um, you know, that's not where our worth is derived, right. but I've seen but also, a lot of yeah, but also creatives kind of chase that. Yeah. And when you, you get the the money or when you get the awards or when you get the sales or whatever it yeah. is, like it, it doesn't change you. And yet it, it changes your art in this way. Like yeah. if you let it where it's like, Oh, I am of more worth. Right. I'm a bigger deal. Well, yeah. And, um, furthermore if if you're if you're a hobbyist then you get to be you 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 have a different um freedom to not be attached to any feedback but if you're trying to make a living Mm -hmm. then like yes you you have to take in that feedback to some extent Mm -hmm. um which is really really tricky and you're so right. Like when you, you know, the feedback quality thereof, it doesn't change the work. Like the Mm -hmm. work is the work, but the feedback can change like a perceived value, which Mm -hmm. is almost the same. Mm -hmm. Like it's effectively the value. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like, that's hard stuff. Like, and I, so I think that's like where this creative, I feel like I've had multiple creative crises in, in my life and in my career, yeah. but I, I don't know if they're crisis so much as catalysts, sure. um, in the sense that it's like, I just, I'm changing how I view myself as a creator. And I'm, I'm trying to view in like the healthiest way possible, what it is that I create, because really w- what a gift to ha to, reach the full measure of what your creative endeavor is or, yeah. or to strive to. Right. And there's, uh, there's a quote. So I'm going to pause cause I want to find this on Great. my phone. Great. It's my favorite thing ever. Yeah. I can, I'll chop back in when you find it. 
Who's it by? Kurt Vonnegut. Okay, cool. Okay. So uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote a letter, I think it was in 2006, like uh, some high school students had written him and uh, Kurt Vonnegut, like I grew up like, I love Kurt Vonnegut. Cool. And he had talked about uh, becoming and the purpose of uh, doing these things to help you become. And so this quote, he says, um, practice any art, music, singing, dancing, acting, drawing, painting, sculpting, poetry, fiction, essays, repartage. I don't remember to say that word again, COVID brain, no matter how well or badly, not to get money and fame, but to experience becoming, to find Mm. out what's inside you to make your soul grow. And so I think so much uh, for me of uh, living this creative life or whatever was, was to become, it wasn't the becoming, it was to get to this point, like I, I was highly motivated. I wanted to be published before I was 30. I wanted to have like big sales. Like yeah. it was all of these like exterior things. Yeah. And I wasn't thinking like, how is this shaping me? How is this helping my soul grow? Right. And which is a lovely yeah. thing to have and a lovely thing to do, but you still need to... I don't know, get your bread buttered. Like you still, right. if you are a paid working creative, there's still this right. difficulty of like, that's well and fine. Like the other day I spent a whole day writing a poem. Somebody had tweeted something and I thought, oh, that's a poem. I want to work on that. What am I going to do with that poem? I don't know. Maybe I can publish it in a, like lit- a collection journal yeah. or something like that. But it's, it's not going to earn me the big bucks versus the book that I'm working on that I've already been half paid for that that's like, that's the thing I should be doing for my job. I I was just talking about this with another one of my guests recently. Like, how do you decide like when you're, when you should follow like a passion or Mm -hmm. a curiosity and when it's a distraction, right? (laughs) It's such a complicated thing. Um, and it, I think people like the idea of artists like just kind of following this like inspiration wherever it leads you. And like the reality of our actual careers is like we we just don't always have the luxury of doing that. Yeah. And and isn't it interesting that the word is luxury? Yeah. Because um, I think another thing uh, some authors have spoken about this, which I really appreciate is how how much money do you make as an author? Like we don't have health insurance. Like I, I, and again, this is, it's the same and it's different from our respective fields. But a lot of times the answer is, well, you have a partner and you have a partner with the stable job or you have, um, I don't know, like you're a Lord or you have inheritance, (laughs) like, like historically, uh, you've got to get to a pretty high part of, of self-actualization to like, say like, okay, but I have a home. I'm not worried about paying the rent, whatever. The things that I write when I'm worried about money are often different than the things that I write when I'm worried about growing my soul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, for me, like the way that that looks is I just have like six different jobs and mm-hmm. some of them are more reliable income makers. And they're maybe what I sometimes refer to as like lowercase art. 
And then I have like the stuff that is my like capital A art mm-hmm. that like never makes any money, but is such an important piece of my. Do you feel that you do the things? Because I've been talking to a lot of authors about yeah. how often, t- like it used to be, uh, you were a writer and you sat up in your attic and your little desk and produced. But now, like as an author, there's even a difference between being a writer and being an author, because when you're an author, you're also a speaker and you're also a teacher and you're also getting paid critiques and you're, you're running a podcast. Like you're doing all these and things. Right. And that's how you make ends meet. Totally. But like the capital A artist that gets pushed to the side oftentimes. And are you doing those other things to get to the capital A are you doing those other things because it's like, you know, it, it, I want to get to that moment where I'm just purely creating and loving that. Yeah. And the, it's gravy that I get money for it. Yeah. Um, because in order to get published, in order to survive in the creative field yeah. as a career, uh, you've got to, you, you can't just be that right. one thing. You have oftentimes. to wear all the hats, yeah. totally. Multiple streams of income. And so how do you feel about the other hats that are different than yeah. the hat? I think about it so much. I think the way that I feel about it like lately is, you know, I'm, I, I feel pretty lucky that like the other hats, like the lowercase a, the lowercase mm-hmm. art hats, uh, they are enriching enough to me that they do inspire. Like they, they give me, they give back more than they take in a way that um, it does like inspire my capital mm-hmm. A art. So it feels like a good, um, you know, self-sustaining right. kind of like symbiotic relationship most of the time. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I struggle with, like, so that's my, that's like the true, that's my experience. But the thing that I've been struggling with a lot lately is more like perception, like branding, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Cause you're so right. Like I, I just watched this um, great movie with Elizabeth Moss called Shirley. It was about Shirley Jackson, who mm-hmm. y- you know who she is. Um, and yeah, she's like in the movie, like portrayed as this high art author who's like mm-hmm. not fit for society in any way. <laughs> and I think like we romanticize these kinds of ideas um, and we, we maybe don't quite as much romanticize like Liz Gilbert. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe I do and maybe mm-hmm. you do, but like, I mean, I think a lot of people would be like, well, she does all these other things. And then maybe like, she's not this like magical, like author type that we like to like imagine. Um, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like sometimes that's a struggle for modern day creatives of like, no, I'm still the same. Like I have the same kind of essence of self that, mm-hmm. Like, you know, a hundred years ago, maybe would have looked more like this other thing. It's just not the reality of like. Well, and even like I use the term a modern day creative, yeah. like we're often using this model that is, is ancient. It's totally outdated. Like, yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. None of anymore. us are Lord Byron and yeah. thank goodness for that. Yeah. Um, so that, or the starving artist right. or um, the struggling artist and how like. Uh, that's also in Big Magic by Elizabeth Kilberg where it talks about like, you must know pain and you must know yeah. um, struggle. Like every day is a struggle. Like a blank page is a struggle. Totally. Um, a million rejection letters is a struggle. Right. 
Like, even if they come via email and not right. like with a stamped like wax seal, <laughs> like it's just, it's easy. I add my own to yeah. those. It gives yeah. it that extra savor. Um, yeah. Like, so we're, we're having like, as, as a culture and as a society, like redefining what that even means of yeah. like, what, what is the life of a modern day creative yeah. and do you have to be paid? Cause I always ask this too. I, I, I teach you know, different writing courses and whatever. And I always ask like, why are you doing this? What is your why? Like, yeah. what are you hoping to get out of this? Yeah. And in children's publishing, uh, specifically since like, you know, you have your Harry Potter wave and then you have your twilight wave and you have your hunger games wave. Like a lot of people say, Oh, I want to make a lot of money. It's like, well, so do I cool goal. And so do yeah. millions of the rest of us in the yeah. slush pile. Like, like go play the lottery, you'll have better luck. Yeah. Um, but if your why is I, I just want to make my soul grow, like that has yeah. value. Yeah. Even if you never publish anything, traditionally yeah. publish anything or whatever, what of it? And right. as long as I think you always like go back to that why yeah. of like, why am I doing this? Then when you get to these icky business things that you have to do too. Yeah. That some, some, not necessarily icky, but just like, I, I get so tired of myself. They're fraud. Right. And I always feel like I, I'd even said, I need to get you a new author bio because we talked about this earlier. Like I'm, I'm sick of even saying like, this is who I am in a paragraph. Um, I get sick of pitching myself for, for events or gigs or, or books or whatever. It, um, it's that hustle yeah, and and that hustle can, man, it strips you down. It, it can it really, really exhaust you. And it's, it's often not great for your mental health. Yeah. Um, but you want to get to the point where it gives you more chances to create. Right. Like, I feel like I'm always writing this book in the hopes that I can then write the next book. Right. Like that's what I'm in it for is totally. to just be able to get as much work out yeah. and really not even to get it out to justify the time yeah. um to to play to spend mm-hmm. time with my art and with my work and yeah. and make my soul grow how do you when you're talking about this like make my soul grow like i love this idea and i know exactly what you mean like i feel that do you like i sometimes wrestle with the idea that like having a why of make my soul grow is like selfish somehow. Yes. Do you, you struggle yes. with that too? Oh my goodness. Or, yes. Yeah. That that's my like self, like self-indulgent or something. Yeah. And also if, because that goes back to my need for it to like, if I can't get an A plus, if I can't get a gold star, if I can't do this on a stage, if, if there's not some way that somebody else is saying this has value, then it feels like you, you should be doing something else because like, this is just for you. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a mother. I have, um, I have six kids. I have three daughters and then I have three awesome stepkids. Um, five of them live with us full time. So I'm always thinking like, how, what do I want to teach them? And I don't want them attaching these same 
uh, beliefs to themselves. Um, and even that's like kind of how I became a writer. Uh, and this goes back to, well, we'll talk about that. So how I became a writer. Yeah. So I, uh, I, in high school, I kind of like, I wrote like funny, dirty limericks for my friends. Like I did kind of, it was like, my side, side, side gig. Like if I read a paper in class, I got, I'd get really excited when I had an assignment, but nobody knew that that was like the secret desire of my heart. You mean like write, writing, writing the paper? Yes. Yeah. Like, or writing anything. Yeah. And honestly, like the high school, the books that we're reading in high school and in, in the nineties and often today, it was like, I thought to be a writer, I had to be like, an old white guy in a tweed coat and a pipe. Yeah. You know, it was, I, not, not some girl from Las Vegas, Nevada, certainly. Um, it, it was, it it was, and also not a humorist, not somebody of even like the sub sub genre that I felt I was doing. So, uh, I graduated high school and I went to BYU and, um, BYU was, a culture shock in every way possible. I go from high school where I'm like this straight Mormon white girl, smart, overachieving white girl to the land of straight Mormon overachieving white girls. And I'm looking around, I'm like, like how, um, everything was the same and everyone was the same. And that wasn't true, but that was my perception coming in. And it was like, wait, now I have to readjust my brand again because, uh, I, I don't want to be the same as everyone else. It was just like a a pocket full of stars. Everybody was a star and they were all coming from places where they were a star and Mm. which still very much, very much exists culturally. Yeah. And, um, I had, I signed up for a writing class. Um, cause again, it was like the secret desire of my heart kind of thing. And, and you were like you, sorry, wait, I have a couple yes. of questions. Okay. Okay. But we're going to come back to sign up for writing class. So I, I have two questions about your, your youth. So I have interviewed over 90 people now and I always ask, what were you like as a creative child? Mm-hmm. It's like the one question that I ask every single interview and very, very few of my guests are ever able, like most people kind of go like, huh, like they don't right. really know. And the fact that you had like kind of such a quick answer and also that you talked about like your identity and how you felt Mm -hmm. about your identity as a child. Um, I think that's kind of rare, like for people (laughs) to like, and I, I'm curious whether I've done a lot of school visits though. And I think that, I mean, I've talked to kids about this so much, like because you're a children's author. So my question is like, I'm, I wonder how like your, like young ideas about identity are related to the fact that like you write, like right. probably a bit of a chicken egg, but I would say all of it. Okay. And I feel yeah. a lot of writers, I know they say they have like an inner voice of, uh, that they come back to. And it's like, it might be like a 12 year old or whatever. Um, what I really love about children's books is my identity is, uh, constantly shifting and the genres that I write in, I I've written fantasy, I've written anamorphic, I've written contemporary, I've written romance, I'm writing a, a historical novel in verse right now. Cool. So there's, there's so much room for exploration in that right. sense. And that's back in childhood where there was so much room for exploration 
with my mom signing me up for synchronized swimming. And I'm like, guess I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and as adults, I think it's like, we feel like we've arrived and we are yes. this thing. 100%. And so we, we go to school or, or we do some vocation and it's like, uh, we, we this is what I've trained over. to do. Sure. And so this is what I am. Yeah. And I feel strongly about that. That's not true right. as well. Yeah. Of course not. And, and the older we get, the more punctuated that becomes. Yes. Um, so like my opa, uh, my opa was, uh, garbage man for, uh, I don't know how many years. And he, um, immigrated here after world war two. Um, and he painted, uh, little clay sculptures yeah. and he painted, paintings and uh if we were to quantify the value of that uh they're not in galleries yeah but that was he was still living a creative life totally. even though he was in a job that that wasn't in a creative field yeah, yeah. and uh my parents were voracious readers and uh my dad played the guitar for us at night in his very, very deep voice and would sing to us. And they, they weren't doing those things on a right. stage. They were, right. they were doing, they were just, just doing the, it for and the being, love of, for the, yes. Um, yeah. For the soul growth. Yes. But the job was different. And mm -hmm. I think as an adult, it like, I faced that when I went to school because it was, you know, these, these things are, are fun, but, but is there a value? And, yes. um, it's so complicated and we, and I go through this constantly in yeah. my career because yeah. it's like, I'll, I'll be writing something and it's like, my agent's not going to like this yeah. or this is going to be a tough sell. Who's the publisher to even buy it? Like you're, you're always trying yeah. to, uh, commodify it. Mm -hmm. And so when I was at school, I was signed up to take a writing class and, uh, Chris Crow, who still teaches at BYU, he, I met him a few years ago. I, I, he's an amazing writer, an amazing teacher, an amazing person. And the night before I was supposed to take the class, I, I dropped the class okay. and it was because I just like had this like, oh my gosh, what if somebody was reading what I'm writing? What if somebody doesn't like it? Well, and yeah. what if they don't like me? What if I'm not enough? Like this at the core, those were all the things, yeah. but, uh, I was, it's like, no, 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 so I can't this do that was thing. Still this like secret, like when I was, this was my other question that I was going to ask, like this like secret desire, like it was really a secret. Yeah, and it wasn't like a dirty secret because no, it was. I, just mean I like was all you these other articulating things. these things, right? So, had you like declared a major? No. Okay. And uh, I then so I uh, got married young. Um, I got married at nineteen. I married somebody who I had dated in high school. He uh, served a, a mission, a Mormon mission. Um, he grew up a block away from me, and. <sighs> my major became, um, like what could get him through and, yes. and get him through what he needs to That's do. So I was going to say before and, too, some of this is like really Mormon. Yes. Like some of it is like and, extremely, um, like which for experience. most of, most of my readers or anything like this is very, um, they know nothing of this yeah. experience. And it's been very interesting. I moved back to Utah, um, I, I went to school here and then I lived all over and I moved back a few years ago. So it's been again, that, yeah, that ice bath yeah. back into the culture. Well, I get it. I had a really, I grew up in Mesa, Arizona. Mm -hmm. 
I went to BYU for one year and felt like a lot of those same things that you said. And I applied to a, a different school like the first week I was mm-hmm. there. I was like, I can't, I can't, like, mm-hmm. I cannot be here. And I wasn't like edgy or anything. I mean, right. I was very like, took AP classes, was right. like a very, very good girl, like, you know, seminary president mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was just like something in something that I just felt like I, I will die if I stay here. Like I can't do it. So I, I went, I moved to this like haven of like a little like arts city Mm -hmm. in North Texas, like a little, like a baby Austin Mm -hmm. and got a jazz studies degree. And then I moved back here. I not back, but I moved to Utah. Um, my husband was starting a PhD and mm-hmm. also felt like shocked again. Right. <laughs> it's a very, you're and, not and, wrong. And there's, there's <laughs> such a disposition because also I love it here and it's glorious. And like uh, when I dr- drove up here, I was like, well, these mountains know, and it's this it's glorious pretty. view. And um, I, I love the people and I, uh, yeah, that's a conversation too. But yeah. anyway, um, so I got married and my, um, former husband was going to go into the medical field. And so, uh, then like what I chose yeah. was whatever him would build and, him, yeah. the kingdom of him. Yeah. And, uh, I like wrote papers for him. Oh, <laughs> so no. that's how I did some writing. Yeah. Um, like I wrote his moral philosophy paper, which like definitely in hindsight, I shouldn't have <laughs> He should have learned those things. Yeah. So uh, I went into elementary ed and I, I, most any field I've ever been in has been with children. It's yeah. always like, I, I love working with kids. Um, I love, I think for all of the reasons like already discussed, I love that they're, they understand that they're forming and they're not yeah. formed and adults yeah. are, um, often terrified. like they won't budge. Yeah. yeah. I, and I teach also, I teach private lessons to children and teens mm-hmm. and adults and amen. Like my favorite thing about teaching kids is like, they just, they're not scared of the same things. They, right. they know they don't know anything. Yes. And therefore like learning is just, it's their whole world. Or they know they know everything, which is also my yeah. favorite thing yeah. too, because yeah. it's just like that, like raw confidence and, uh, they're not judging themselves right. in either direction. Right. Like, it's like, I'm amazing. I like, yeah, like, the, well, it's like the idea of needing to learn something. It, it doesn't mean anything about whether they're incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think for adults, like the fact of having to learn something is like, I'm bad at it. Right. And also like, we're all in different versions of our childhood at any time anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I went into elementary education and it, it was a great field. Um, I don't know if it's the field I would have chosen if it was, if you had gotten to me pick. as my own identity yeah. in a different place at a different yeah. time. But like I I've spent enough time saying, what if, what if, what if on any of my choices? And so this is the path that I went on and and yay for that. Yeah. So, um, I taught for a couple of years and then, uh, we moved to, uh, Philadelphia for my, um, former spouse's schooling. And I, I had, uh, I wouldn't have become a mother quite as young. I had a fertility thing. So I was again, anxiety kicks in and yeah. it's like, 
what if I never can? And what if I don't achieve this? So I had my oldest daughter who, um, doesn't like to be mentioned ever at anything. So I I just had a kid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I, when I was 23 and we were, um, in school and my then husband was in his first year and it's, it's very intense. And And were you in school too? Or do you mean we, as in he was in school? He was in school. Okay. But you you say we, yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah. And I had finished, I taught school for a few years. Okay. okay, So, um, and I went from, when you're a teacher and I taught second and I taught fifth grade. Um, and it's like, you are the world for the, for that time. Like you create this world for these kids throughout that day, um, to being a substitute teacher where you are the worst for the course of one day. And, um, it, it, that was again, identity shift and, um, like, who am I, where do I fit all of that stuff? I was pregnant. Um, I was alone, Um, I, you know, my, my spouse, uh, was gone a lot, like needed to be. Uh, so I started writing during like prep time at school or at the lunchtime. And I wrote like chiclet and I wrote like just everything. And I just had this little notebook and it was, maybe I could write. What if I wrote? Is there anyone in your life at this time that like knew that you like had always kind of wanted to write? Not really. It was really kind of like your private. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and were you talking about it when you started writing or was it like, no. Okay. But again, it wasn't so much, it was a secret. It was just like, who do I talk to? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have resources. Right. Um, so I had my daughter, I, I subbed a little bit like back and forth when, after I'd had her and, uh, I joined something called society of children's book writers and illustrators. Cool. And that was pretty much my whole education was just, okay. uh, I was in a bunch of chat rooms. Okay. Um, this is like mid two thousands. I still am writer friends with a lot of people from these different chat yeah. rooms. We had blogs, cool. a live journal blog. We'd go and comment everyone's blogs. So I was being read. Yeah. I was in a Getting community that feedback. Yeah. and, uh, that was great. I, I think I I had like a little bit of this moment where like my daughter was maybe one and I'd gone into a room and I was looking in her crib and I had this like Whitney Houston, I believe the children are future moment. Like, um, and it was, you know, I, I was recognizing, um, also when I became a mom, I thought my life was over to be honest, because, like my life as my own entity. Yeah. It was now you are a mother. Now you are a wife. Everything you do is for them. Yeah. And my mom kind of, my mom, again, given the home she had grown up in, that was my mom was, she was like her identity. A lot of it was shaped around us. And that's what she had really wanted because she had such a lack of that. And, um, that, that wasn't me. That wasn't, that wasn't, I, I wanted, I guess the word isn't more, but I wanted different. Yeah. And so I was looking at my daughter and thinking like, Oh, I want to give her the world and I want her to be everyone she wants to become. And it's like, but you aren't doing that and you aren't like pursuing, um, becoming and you aren't, uh, like I, I was stuck. Yeah. And so that's when I decided like, I'm going to go for this. And so cool. Um, it took me a couple years, uh, like alarmingly, like usually there should be a longer apprenticeship period. Uh, 
I don't want to read my earlier published yeah. works, but <laughs> it was also like the golden age in children's publishing, like yeah. money was raining from heaven. It was great. Cool. So we were on uh, government assistance. Uh, my, let's see, we'd moved to Alabama by that point. I'd had another kid and I got this like really big book advance. And cool. th- so how did you do it? Like, okay, wait, I just want to know, I want to know like internally, mm-hmm. like, was there anything that you had to do to like kind of summon the courage to like, I'm going to write and not only am I going to write, but I'm going to like seek out a publisher. Right. Well, the thing about like anxiety is, and I think like compulsion, Yeah. Um, I, I had a lot of that and I had a lot, I still had that like that overachieving, kind of yeah. give me that gold star kind of spirit um, which in Utah, um, like Utah is the state, like the motto is like industry, uh, you know, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. uh, that pioneer spirit that yeah. I had on my dad's side. And, um, I, I think it was, I, I need a thing and I, I, I'm not into scrapbooking. Yeah, <laughs> like it yeah, was, yeah something there was a lot of other uh, dental wives where I lived who were all like talented, amazing women who I'm still close with to this day. Um, but it was, I, I just, I wanted different. Like I, I didn't feel like I fit in a lot of different places and that's still my struggle as a writer and still my struggle of, um, like I'm always feel like I'm course correcting across cultures, uh, because here it's like a very conservative, um, mm-hmm. the writing world is wide open, big, diverse, like it's just so different. Right. And I needed that connection and I needed to find that piece of myself that I, I needed to grow that piece of myself. Sure. So, um, part of it was just survival. Part of it was just, that makes perfect um, sense. I don't know, like I, I dig being a mom and, uh, but I wanted something that was for me yeah. and my personal growth. I totally get that. I, I, you know, I don't have children. Um, I, I joke sometimes like, like if I, if anybody would have wanted to marry me earlier, I probably <laughs> like would have been married earlier and like would have had kids earlier. I think it was just like, it just so happened. Like I didn't get married until I was 23, which is still yeah, so which, young. which anywhere <laughs> else in the, the yeah, and oh, you got married at twenty three. You were so young. You were a baby. I know, I know, I know. And meanwhile, I was like the oldest person in the singles ward mm-hmm. in Denton, Texas. But um, I uh, I was already halfway through my master's, so then I was like, well, I'm gonna finish my master's. Mm-hmm. And then once I finished my master's, it was like, I have a master's degree. I can't just like, mm-hmm. you know, I just I I my identity was fully formed enough. I mean, yes. not fully, but it was yeah, formed I... enough that it wasn't easy to redirect it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then I think like when I moved, I was just talking about this. Like I did this monologue. I'm not kidding. Like I was just talking about all these things, but um, when I moved here, like just immediately started getting all this pressure to have kids and was terrified, like just terrified mm-hmm. about like, how will I keep being the person that I think, am right anyway i mean i think just like all these things you're saying like the circumstances are a little different for no other reason than i didn't get married till i was 23 right um until yeah (laughs) you know but but 19 to 23 is right 
that is a big, like there are things that happen in your like human development in that time. But yeah, I mean, I, I understand a lot of this. So I, my kind of like remaining question, like I fully get like, I have to do this for my own survival. Like, like it doesn't feel like resilience maybe as mm-hmm. much as it feels like necessity. Do, is there anything you want to say about like having the, like, is there any kind of advice you'd want to give to anyone in a similar situation for the piece where you have to like explain to someone else? Sure. Yeah. So, well, first of all, like going from being a teacher, like teaching is, is creativity. I mean, it's, I, so that like nourished me in so many ways. And so it was partially the removal of that, um, which it still nourishes me in so many ways. It's my favorite and part of being an author is teaching. Um, teaching. So I, I felt that removal and, uh, I also though knew like I created lesson plans. I had, you know, built a curriculum. And so I knew how to set micro goals to accomplish the macro. And I had to take myself seriously, uh, as an author, uh, before I was a published author. And that's what every single writer has to do. And that's what I've taught classes all the time. And especially if you are in a dynamic, like, like many, like women specifically here in Utah that I've met that it's, oh, but you know, my kids need me to drop off their lunch or my husband needs this or, or my job wouldn't allow. Um, if, if it's, something in you that needs to get out. Yeah. Don't, don't like suppress that. Yeah. Do what you need to do to make it happen. And there's always, you know, watch one less episode of the bachelor, right? Right. Like, um, or no episodes would also be my recommendation. (laughs) Um, but like cut something out so that you can grow something in you. Did you feel like you had to like justify it? Like, like, did you get pushback when you were like, I'm writing a book I'm doing like, yeah. Like, um, did you struggle with like other people? Like my partner at the time was supportive. He was very supportive when I got a large paycheck, especially when we didn't have it. But, um, after that, when he was, uh, in his career and making significant money, it was like a pat on the head. That's the cute thing you're doing. How long is this going to go on? Right. And, um, I think my partner now I'm, I'm remarried and my husband is so like, he just understands that this, this is who I am. It doesn't matter what paycheck I get at any time. Um, he's like, I've got the, like, he'll say, I don't, I don't believe this. He's a very creative person. He's like, I'll do the boring job. You go create. And, um, so it's because now I'm able to have that support system that yeah. I'm able to do that. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes I was able to do it in spite of the situation and not because of the situation. Yeah. And uh, that like, I was like a weed sometimes. Like yeah. it was like, I don't care what's going on around me. I'm, I'm going to make this happen. I get, I get that. I think um, I, I have experienced that as well. And like, I just sorry, have like, it's just what's yes. going to happen. Yes. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> To the point, though, that like then it happens and now what? So Mm -hmm. I I do know other people who are married to a creative at any point. And it's like, but you published the book. Why are you still doing this? You got it. It's like 
but now I got to do the next one. Like it's, it's not, there's no end game. We don't become, we're constantly becoming. And so it's like, until I'm done. And, and sometimes you are done. Sometimes you publish a couple books or you release a few albums and it's like, yeah, that's the thing. I said what I I needed to say. Yeah. And, and that's fine. And you can, excuse me. It's all good. (laughs) You can still be fed creatively. Yeah. You can still find other creative endeavors as long as you're living that creative life. Um, I think that's what's paramount. And I think that's what I had to turn to, but I had to do a full lean in, uh, because again, for me, part of it was identity and part of it was, I felt, um, like who I'm not just a wife and I'm not Mm. just these things. I am like, for me, my, I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. I believe in a creator and I believe that I was created in order to create. Yeah. And, uh, like I have created life, I've had kids, yeah. but, uh, I, I want to daily be doing this thing. I don't want to be yeah. a consumer. I don't want to be, uh, making it about just yeah. this thing. And, and I want it to be like, what am I putting forth into the world? Yeah. yeah. Um, and not in, even in the way, like, I don't think it's selfish. And, and honestly, I, I, I turned 40 this year. And so I've really gotten to thank you so much. And, um, it was the best year to yeah. have a monumental birthday. Um, but I've just got to the point where it's like, I'm not doing this for, for you. Yeah. I, you know, I'm putting this out and you, you translate it to be whatever you want it to be. Like a yeah. book, especially once a reader reads it, it's not my book anymore. Right. Like it's, it's theirs. It's whatever they create that to yeah. be within themselves. Uh, but before it was more, uh, okay. I need to think for a second how to say this. Okay. So, uh, I remember one time I was playing tennis, um, and which was very intense and, uh, after the game, I was talking to another tennis player who is also a mom. And she said, I said, I have to go. I have work. And they're like, oh, where do you work? And I'm like, oh, I work from home. I'm self-employed. I'm a writer. Yeah. And she's like, oh, so you like don't have like a job job. Yeah. And I'm like, I've got a job job. I've got a deadline. Yeah. Um, and she said, that's just so good for you. Like, I wish I could do something like that, but I just like really love my kids. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, my, my kids are awful. So I just avoid them at all costs. And, uh, Ali Wong actually in her standup said, like, basically I do this so I could pay somebody to do the things that I don't want to do. And it's like, yeah, I totally identify with that. Um, but I, I too love my family and I too love my kids. And going back to that moment of looking at my daughter and saying like, if I don't show her how to do this, if I don't do this myself, if I don't go into the world and, and be bold and be brave, then, um, how can I I, like, how, how can I ever say that to her? Like you, my parents did give me this opportunity and my parents also were very good. Like, Oh, you're gonna be a writer. Cool. Cool. It it wasn't, um, you're, you're not enough for that. It was, sometimes it was almost pressure that was like, my dad was like, of course you will, because you're amazing. And it was like, Oh, I gotta be amazing. (laughs) So sometimes it was like the opposite kind of pressure. Um, but 
I just like don't suffer fools anymore. Like if someone says something yeah. like that to me, it's like, that's your own ish. Like well, that's I'm, nothing to do with me. That's so amazing. I like when you said I don't suffer fools anymore, how did you get from one to the other? Like, how did you do that? Age and experience. Yeah. And I think trauma. Yeah. Like I, uh, I ended up getting divorced and I got, I moved, I got remarried. Like, my whole life is now 2.0. Everything yeah, has yeah, changed yeah. from what it was and what, and even the life I was living was not the life I thought I was living. There was a lot of, uh, um, things. deception yeah. and things happening yeah. in, in that partnership. So it was like, okay, so I thought I was this and I thought everything yeah. was this yeah. and not, nothing was as it seemed. Mm. So I had to form a new reality. I had to form a new yeah. life and, what a gift that was because it like if my book sales bomb it's like oh well yeah it's just it's made me oh well a lot of things like when the when when the very worst thing happens um and we all have a different very worst thing and we'll we'll have many very worst things happen to us in our lives but and you get through that and it just makes anything else like you know this these are crumbs it's not it's not worth my emotional energy to attach myself to that. And I can also be a little bit more aerial in my view and say, that's something with you. That's your thing. Yeah. Uh, And you know, my kids, sometimes my kids will say like, I wish you had a job where you just went to a place and worked because they'll call me and they'll say, I forgot my lunch. Why don't you drop it off? And I'm like, "Mm, school lunch, have fun. I'm working. Yeah. And it's like, but I'm, but you're here, but you're home. Yes. And, uh, so why aren't you at my disposal? Uh, why aren't you like when I would back in the land of book tours and whatnot, like, why are you gone? And it's like, cause this is my thing and this is what I'm going to do. And I all, I love you, but you are your own entity and you need to form your own identity and um you are not my identity and I am not yours like I really work to have um boundaries boundaries and separation and uh, individuation it's so important yes and I think especially for girls and especially for women and what I've been studying more what I when I said I'd written my critical thesis like um please tell me I'm so humor for girls how humor is often like the thing that girls aren't funny. Girls are only funny if they're acting like boys. There was a aggravating daily wire, which is like some conservative new show. And it's like a bunch of dudes like smoking cigars. And they're like, girls are only funny when they're acting like boys. And um, cause humor is only like inherently masculine. And that was this, that's what spawned like a 30 page paper for me and so much research because so your paper is like specifically on girls and humor. It's on um, gender bias in humorous picture books because the formative age of picture books, many picture books, like I just kind of like found it through Google. Like it was accidental, but a lot of lists that are like top 10 funniest picture books are written by men with male characters. Yeah. And I started to think like, for me so much again of my creative self was formed through humor and formed through the like that's how I viewed and communicated with the world it's how I worked through trauma like it's it's yeah. such a gift to have and why why not why can't girls have it and yeah. so if kids are reading books only by men with boys being funny 
um, what, what does that tell yeah. them in their own social dynamic at right. that age? And yeah. then what does that tell them going forward as teenagers and as adults? And, um, yeah, there's this whole like resource that like they yeah. see as unavailable to and, them. And another thing, like I was on a humor panel one time and, um, you know, a national humor panel because yeah. I'm funny yeah. and I was on it yeah. with like a bunch of other men. Yeah. And afterwards, one of the men walked up to me and said, oh, you know, you were actually really funny. Ugh. Ugh. And like, actually you weren't, but like yeah. that yeah. actually, totally. I think about that and I think about that in a lot of dynamics, like, oh, you actually work or you actually yeah. write. Like, I think or it's like, you're actually those... a good mom. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And I think where that actually like devalues us in so many ways, yeah. but I think we attach a lot of those to ourselves. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, in my experience, it's hard not to when it happens so much. Right. Because like, I, I also feel like, I mean, my kind of personal experience is my mom was a narcissist. She passed away a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and my dad, maybe too. I don't know exactly, mm -hmm. but I'm not in contact with him anymore. And, uh, so, you know, from a really young age, I had a lot of like identity problems right. because, um, I wasn't allowed to individuate mm -hmm. because I was raised by, you know, in a narcissistic all glory environment. Goes to them. Like right. your purpose yeah, is and to serve them. Also, in that like sense. my mother was very competitive with mm -hmm. me in a way that I never wanted, you know, and I just wanted to be good and be loved. And it was almost like there was a penalty for being good. There was a penalty for not being good enough. It was just very fraught. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like, and then when I, when I, you know, I'm a very conscientious person. So when I make decisions, like, you know, I don't have children, that is not a careless decision. Right. And, um, and it's you know, not a wrong decision. Yeah. Either. Um, I'll have people say things to me. Like, I forget exactly what the tennis lady said, but to you, but you know, I'll have people say things to me like, Oh, you're a musician. I had this woman, it's burned into my brain. She said, well, that's fun while you still have time, mm -hmm. which like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Until I die? Like, what do you mean? And of course you meant until you have kids mm -hmm. and do the thing that's like serious and like you're, what you're supposed to do. Um, and then, you know, I also feel like I work with children. I love children too. I especially love teenagers. Um, and for me, that decision is very much like my teachers were the people who Mm -hmm. raised me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it feel like, I think in the same way that some people feel like being a parent gives back in some way, like, you know, right. they loved being parented and they loved, they loved their parents. Um, I feel that way about teaching all this to say, you know, when you get these kind of like affronts on your identity, mm -hmm. even if you have a really strong identity and you know, like those, these things aren't true it's sometimes it feels to me like it's that same thing, like perceived value and actual value, mm -hmm. like the value of your work, like it just is, but, but the perceived value is almost the value. Mm -hmm. And I think it gets that way with identity stuff too. Like, even if you know really who you are, if constantly people are getting it wrong, it's really hard. Yeah. And I mean, it, that's, you have to exercise it. You have yeah. to like remind yourself like the, the world is always going to be telling you like 
are it's relentlessly coming yeah. at us and uh, like I find all the time, like, and I feel like this is women specifically that I meet women creatives. And the other thing they'll say is I'm just a, or I'm just doing this. And they'll, they, we're trying to still quantify ourselves and we're still trying to quantify our value. And if our value exists exclusively from being, which is what I believe, I, I believe by, by being a human by just by virtue of birth or yeah. by virtue of existence, we are, we have inherent value. We're yeah. born with that. That's our birthright. Um, then why would we like try to then quantify and say, Oh, because your book got this much money or you have this number of kids or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's because we're just, trying to find our place in the world yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. And that's what I try to like tell myself. It's like, Oh, they're just, they're figuring themselves out and they're yeah. trying to, maybe they're threatened by this or maybe, uh, it exposes something yeah. in them that, that makes them uncomfortable. So I, I need to release that, yeah. but there's certainly things that I haven't released and yeah. I can remember for well, people. So I was going to ask next, like, do you, are there still things that like you feel tender about that? Like, you have to work to kind of like not attach to, or do you feel like you yeah, have, you're I, pretty well I think practiced I've, something like another thing when I was a kid that I was thinking about this, like when I said the word tomboy in the sense of, I wanted to be a boy. Um, I identified like, like things that I thought of as boy roles or boy activities yeah. or whatever. Um, I would actually pray for it. Yeah. And it was more that I viewed that as something that was free yeah. and empowered. Yeah. And I didn't see that in my future as a Mormon yeah. woman. Yeah. And um which That's so hard is like a horrific thing for me to say, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um and I, I feel like that's something I've combated through all like through all my life choices. Um and I don't feel that way and Good. I don't think I also think like uh, like gender roles are just assigned culturally oftentimes yeah. so it like that's something that I've had to detach yeah um detach from myself detach in my relationships detach um with like work on with my children um so that I think was like the work I did at younger and I feel like I'm starting to get the payoff for it now. That's amazing. And, uh, but I, I don't know, like a lot of times my reaction is anger and I feel anger is so healthy and amazing. Yes. And I don't necessarily put that anger on the person or whatever, but it's just like, yeah, like I'll, I'll say uh, some choice swears and, and it feels (laughs) amazing and, and that's great. And, I have worked really hard. Also, it's been really difficult because uh, living in a state that is politically a different color than your own political Mm -hmm. beliefs, Mm -hmm. um, that having like a detachment from like, how do I view this person as this person is worthy of inherent worth, but I fundamentally disagree with like what, how we view people, especially like maybe like certain groupings of people. And, um, 
I'm trying to like bring this back to creativity too, is, um, that like, for me, it really squashed it for a while. Yeah. And, and this was like one of my creative crises. I, I have a chapter book series, which was like, after I'd gotten divorced, um, I'd worked with an editor I'd worked with before, and it's about a mouse in the White House cool. and a mouse family in the White House. Yeah. So they pitched it as like, oh, I can't remember, like the borrowers meets Ratatouille in the White House or whatever. So I got to spend all this time. I went out to Washington, D.C. I did all this research. This is in 2015. Um, and it, there's five books in the series. Cool. They're super fun. They're super short. They're for like ages maybe like six to nine, seven to 10. They're like first, second yeah, grade, okay. like early, like be the first book they've read kind okay. of book. And, um, man, it was so fun. It was, it was great. It was like this creative outlet. Cause I went from writing, um, teen contemporary, like with some romance in it. Okay. And after I'd gotten divorced, I'm like, I do not want to write books like yeah, that. Yeah. I do not want to, um, you know, I divorced my high school lab partner. Like I'm like, I, I need to divorce sure. myself from this genre for a time. Yeah. And so this was like this great thing. Well, the book sold really well initially. And it was like an Amazon best book of the year. Like it, it got some attention and then the election of 2016 happened. Yeah. And, um, I didn't want to spend time in the white house. Yeah. I didn't want, um, uh, like the president wasn't spending time in the white house yeah. and that, creatively like just it broke me because it was like I this was like the next thing that I was thinking oh I'll have success here and I'll get to spend time here and it was I didn't want to spend time in this place and the book sales it were indicative of that for a lot of people and um I felt very like okay these people have a different political um, belief system than I do. Yeah. I don't want to like talk about presidents. Like, um, and so I was like, what do I write now? And it was yeah. like, I'd hop from this, I'd hop from this. And it like just really stifled my creativity and yeah. my anxiety, um, during that administration hyper alert the entire time. Like yeah. it was, yeah. uh, just horrible to like sit in my computer and be like, don't check the news. Don't check the news. Yeah. Don't. And, and, and then I would, and then 100%. it was, um, I, it just immobilized me. Like I couldn't create, yeah. I couldn't. And that was like across the board in publishing for a lot of people I've yeah. talked to, like, uh, the first few years, like it was, they were just stifled. Like it was, uh, mm-hmm. And also like, is, am I best spent writing a book about like, it felt silly, but it went back to like, humor has no value. I need to go and write something that's like going to change the world and help these kids out. And I had to come back to humor has value. I have value. What I have to say has value. Kids need books like this, just like they need books, um, that focus on important social justice issues. Like we need all of these things and there's place for all of us. And then I had to go to think of my readers and like all of my readers have values, whatever their belief system is, they have inherent value. I can't say only, I only want these people to read my books or I only want to create for this. I had to say like, it, like we can can think, feel and be different and it's okay. It doesn't mean I have to agree with it. It doesn't mean I'm not going to fight against it oftentimes, 
But um, I don't even know what your question was. Well, I don't. You said so many <laughs> things that I like wanted to ask about. And then it just is what it is. Like, it's just it's this beautiful, like reality of conversation. There's a fuzz in the air. But I, I felt like maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. But I felt like there was maybe a second where you were going to say something about um, like talking to someone who reflects like your identity incorrectly at mm-hmm. you. And maybe were you going to say something about like how you yeah. creatively like deal with that? Right. Cause that's like, that's, if so, you must say it. Cause it's like one of my favorite subjects. Again, <laughs> I, I spent a lot of my life swallowing anger and like, yeah, like thinking bad feelings were bad yeah. and not honoring those. And, uh, that fed my anxiety quite a bit. And so I, have also learned though, like I also want to be professional and I also want to be respectful. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, so I let myself feel the anger and I didn't lash out in it though. And I would sit with it and I would try to think, do I believe I'm a good mom? Like, is that what this is? Is that, did they like poke at something that is sensitive for me and then say, if I believe that, how do I change that belief? Is it through action? Yeah. Like where I be a better mom, like yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever that means or a better person or like yeah. better. Yeah. Um, and if it's not true, then I would actively work to discard yeah, it yeah, yeah. and say like, I am not going to attach That's that so, to me. That's such and useful advice. I think like for you talking about having like a, a narcissistic relationship in your life. I've had narcissists in my life as well. And they work hard to devalue. I mean, that that's where they derive, uh, their limited worth. Like, uh, so already struggling with that, I, that helped me make boundaries where I can say that that's not true. That's, that's, I'm not going to attach that same value. And I'm also not going to let you, be like an emotional vampire and suck that out of me either. I think one thing that I, that I think, I think about a lot. I don't know that I've like articulated it that much, but when you have to do, when you find yourself like having to do a lot of work on like believing that you have inherent Mm -hmm. value, like when that's something that you're like, okay, I believe that in the abstract. Now I need to like really believe it about myself in order to do that, you also have to believe it about everyone else. Yes. And that I think that's a place where it gets like really, really tricky. Like if someone is looking at you and saying something that's hurtful and the w- only way that you like combat that healthfully is to be like, I have value. Then you also mm-hmm. have to be like, she has value. He has value. Right. But they what they're value. saying does not. Right. So I think like for me, like one of the things that I love um, that I'm talking about all the time, like Mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite subjects is like, how do we use our creative skill sets to see these two possibilities of like, I have value and this person who has these fundamental different Mm -hmm. values also has value. Um, And I find that that is like a creative pursuit that I sit in like mm-hmm. all the time, every day. Um, do you, do you think about those kinds of things as being like creative? Yeah. Cause it's, to me, it's like, I think about the audience and I right. think about like who, cause again, um, 
I, I don't like using the word consuming when it's something that they are taking from the arts. I feel like it's part of a creative partnership. So if mm-hmm. I write a book and someone reads that book, they're not consuming the book in the same way that like, like it's not this mindless thing. It's a partnership. Yeah. It's active. And yeah. so I think of that audience and I think like, who is this kid I'm reaching? And a lot of times when I write a book, I start with a kid where I kind of like create. And like an avatar. Yes. Like this is who this book is for um, Joey. Yeah. And then they're fictional, but it's like, that's who I'm trying to reach. And then if beyond that Joey or Susie, I don't know why I'm using these. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's Utah. So like. Kit, uh, Michaela, Brighton, and <laughs> McKaylee, uh, McKaylee, McKenzie. Lala. Um, <laughs> um, so as I think of that, um, that kind of releases the rest of it. Yeah. And again, it's like, I didn't make this for you. Actually, I made this for me and mm-hmm. I made this because mm-hmm. the, the act of creation, it's art for the sake of art right. and the money the connection, all of that, it has to, it's really good gravy, but it can't just be, can't be that, that. Yeah. because, um, those are things beyond my control. Those yeah. are things beyond like it's put out into the world and, and I don't have ownership of it right, anymore. Right, right. So, um, which is funny because like, I often hate drafting <laughs> and yeah. that's like the art part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love teaching and I love book events and like, yeah. Those are all the things that were begat by the initial thing. Right. And that's like the part that I'm like, oh, this is so painful. I just want it to be over with. Oh, I was that I was gonna ask you next, like, do you want to say anything about writing? Like Oh, yeah. should we talk about that? Yes. Writing. <laughs> <laughs> or do I, I have had more existential crisis. I mean, we can go into any of them. Uh, well, I mean, uh, to be perfectly honest, like this stuff that we've been talking about is like my favorite stuff. But I also like I really like to hear you know, experts of their own creative medium, like talk about what it's like to do that and right. what's magical about that and what's hard about it or. Um, so what do you want the magic? Do you anything. want the hard or just the process? Both, anything, whatever you want. Okay. What, whatever you feel like is like just important about okay. it, whatever, whatever. I think like there's something sometimes it is like this very painful endeavor where it's like waxing parts of your body. You'd rather not like it's that kind (laughs) of like, I do not want to like, or it's, I'm misquoting somebody, but it's like, I think it was, maybe it was Faulkner because everyone always says it is, but it's like when you're writing, it's like you're cutting yourself open and bleeding on the page. Like, that's that's like visceral that's not yeah. like yay i'm gonna wake up and do that it's and there are like days healing. yes there yeah. are days that are that yeah. and um then there are days that are almost like like spiritual in the sense that it's like this isn't of me yeah this is like there is something that I'm just like a medium at this point where it's like, sometimes I'll write something and then I'll go the next day and read what I wrote. And I'm like, who wrote this? This is amazing. And that's magic. That's like just this, like, like my fingers are just flying and it's 
something that I've thought about, like a lot of time what I love about ideas, because kids always ask me like, where do you get your ideas? And it's any idea that you have is like a conglomerate of 30 ideas that I've had Mm. where it's like, I'll be writing something three years from now. And I'll think, oh, that one podcast I was Mm. on, that's, we talked about that. And I'm going to say that through, uh, a mouse. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like a squirrel who <laughs> has traveled to Mars. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like that kind of the randomness of thought and yeah. how it ever has the ability to congeal into some, like yeah. into something that, yeah. that can be beautiful. That's very big um, magic too. Yes. Like this idea is like this entity that like taps you on the shoulder and it's like, it, it's, and I have felt that many times. Then mm-hmm. I've also felt where this is a hard fought thing. I do not like this book. Every word is like, I'm never going to like this book. And I even have works, which I'm not going to say, but like thing that I yeah. publish, people are like, Oh, I really love this. And I, I identified with this yeah. and this. And I'm like, good for you. I don't even want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I, like I have pride in the sense that like I went through that journey and I went through that journey and, um, that I, again, I'm never arriving. I love that. I love, I'm never going to be great at this. I'm always working at it. I'm always trying to get better and I'm never going to be best. And there's always going to be people who are better than me, like whether they've worked at it or they're inherent. Um, and how cool is that too? And that I get to, rub elbows with those people that I get to part of the reason, um, like one of the main things I love about living in Utah is there is a robust writing community here. There are so many authors, um, specifically children's authors and, and YA authors. And, um, those are the people that, again, I sit down with them and maybe we say, it's like this podcast, maybe two hours in, we're like, Oh, how's the writing going? Yeah. But mostly it's like, so, um, like I, I have a friend, he lived here, he just moved to Idaho and, um, we were talking about, um, Zodiac signs and then it got into, he's also way smarter than me. So I'm always Googling everything he says. <laughs> Keep a little notebook. Like, <laughs> Hi, yes, Matt Kirby. Continue. I Google you often. <laughs> um, but he, we were like hours into this conversation. It's like, wait, so is this for a book? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah. it's like, we're talking about, um, so how do you think your mom's sign, like, how did that define your childhood or like, we're having yeah. these kind of conversations yeah. regularly and we're not chit chatting. We're not, right. um, I don't yeah. know. Like, I'm just so appreciative of that depth and that scope and that I ha- I'm, it broadens my worldview and it's brought me to people yeah. that come from all different walks of life. Yeah. And like, it's, it's like, even during COVID, it's like a virtual, uh, salon, like yeah. that I can connect with all of yes. these people. It's like all of that, like it's what like a gift research. I mean, yeah, that, that's what I was trying to say before with like, you know, this work of like seeing other people, seeing ideas, like assimilating things, like drawing connections, like that is all so creative. Like mm-hmm. that is, and I'm the same way. Like, so, I mean, I'm a musician, but I write lyrics, you mm-hmm. know, I write words in that way. And, uh, I definitely feel like that. Like, like you said, it's like this little bit of this thing and then right. this little bit of this thing. And like, you know, but don't you feel that like shows in your voice too? Like, I, I feel sure like, it does, yeah. like, like joy and trauma and like all of that, it's, it, it actually embeds itself 100%. into you. My, um, 
my master's research is on that subject. Yeah. Wow. Paralinguistics, which is like, okay. yeah, like things that are like outside of like the actual like ling- linguistic things we're mm-hmm. saying, um, the way that, yeah, like gender, social class, emotions like show up in our physical voice and in our being. Um, yeah, it, you're not wrong. <laughs> like well, and it's like, and what I love body. about writing is like, you're creating parasocial relationships where it's like, you know, like a kid, if a character dies and then they cry and they're like, you, this is a person and mm-hmm. I care about them and they have value and right. worth. They're not real. Right. They're fictional. It's like this but, empathy that's, yeah. the empathy is totally real, even though the relationship is not yes. like actually and something that like we need more of that. Yeah. Like the arts cultivate empathy. Yes. And empathy is the only thing that's going to save our society. I couldn't agree more. And that's like what this whole, that's, that's what so much of this podcast is about for me. Like how do we use creativity and maybe use is even the wrong word, but like what is the intersection of like creative endeavor with like social and personal change mm-hmm. and growth um, and you know, like, and also get paid for it too. Yes. Cause yes, that's yeah. like, I think you had said, is it entrepreneur? What was the artpreneur? I don't yes. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause then you also have to yeah. be mindful of that too. So right. it's like, again, it goes back to the many hats. Like you do this and this and this yeah. to get to that magical spot, yeah. which strikes at yeah. any time. Like you don't, you, you're always like, that's the hit I'm going for totally. when I'm doing this. Totally. And also when I meet a writer or I meet a reader and they're like, you wrote this book for me and you understood me. And I'm like, I wrote it for me and I understood yeah. myself, but that's the the glory of human that's connection the of it, yeah. that you then like, it is now for you. Yeah. It is now yours. Yeah. Um, I love that too. Even just like, you know, I've, I've been thinking recently, uh, you know, kind of these like meta sorts of ways, mm-hmm. like just like what you're talking about with like parasocial, um, like it's maybe not quite the same, but like when I sit in this room with all kinds of different artists mm-hmm. and sometimes I talk with people who like agree, like when they're talking, I'm like, yeah, dude, me too. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of similarity. And sometimes they interview people who are really, really different from me. Mm-hmm. But I find that like, it is like a, it's a creative exercise and it's something I really value to like sit and find like the place in like the Venn diagram where like this person and me like have stuff in common. It's, it's just like, I don't know. It's a worthwhile pursuit. I think anytime we're doing that and by any kind of, and I just love that it broadens your Venn diagram. Um, like it exposes you to thought and people and, and and widens that's so I, I recently went back to school, so I'm getting my MFA right now. Cool. And I, this is something I did. Um, it, it was some of the questions I got when I decided to do it is like, why are you doing that? You're already a writer. Cause I'm getting my MFA in writing for children's and young adults yeah. at Vermont college of fine arts, which is a wonderful program cool. and I cannot recommend it enough. And it's a low residency program. Cool. So I go, uh, for a couple weeks in January and a couple weeks in July. And okay. then the rest, I have a mentor that I work with, uh, okay. online throughout the time. And I'm in my last semester now. And what has been great about it is it's for like kind of like camp for that residency time, like very rigorous camp. But I have made 
lifelong connections and yeah. friends, um, which that part I didn't even like think was going to happen. I didn't even think yeah. about that part, yeah. but um, it has help me like and you when you're a writer again because you're cutting yourself open and bleeding on the page it's like yeah. you you connect pretty deeply right by virtue of like it's it's a deep cut yeah. and um I'm so grateful that I even have had the opportunity to do it because for me it was really just like continuing ed yeah. it was like that's so gross I've stuff. always wanted to do this and I'm doing it yeah and I'm paying a lot of money to do it for a job that I kind of already have. Yeah. So like monetarily, I can't yet quantify if this was the most, like the yeah. smartest financial endeavor yeah. that I've done. But like what I gained is beyond rubies and pearls. Like, and that's always in the arts. What's so hard. Like when yes. I sit down with my tax guy, that's like, Oh, I, I but, did my taxes this last weekend yes. and also was like, but it's the worth, income doesn't match the, it's like, worth it for this and this, especially and, this year. Yes. It's like, yes. Ooh, oops. Well, and <laughs> I mean, the nice deductible, thing, but from what? <laughs> yeah. I, I know. And, and also, cause you've also got like, like when you do a gig, like, are you doing a lot of, um, weddings? Like what are, yeah. what's your weddings. bread and butter? Yeah. Yeah. Weddings party band. Yeah. Okay. In Utah. Yeah. Um, where, which is like a wedding. Um, a lot of people get married here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> friends of mine who have never endeavored to this land. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's a cut. And a lot of authors I know, like school visits is we get a lot of money. Yeah. If I'm trying to figure out how much money I've made on a book, there's the advance. Uh, and then you get royalty. So if you earn out your advance, so say you sell the book and you get $10,000 and you get a percentage, this is just for people who, yeah, this is I, new to them. I love it. Yeah. And then the royalty, you could essentially make money on that book for forever more. Like yeah. to kill a mockingbird, you could have like a foundation in your name that still ha is making money. Yeah. Um, or you could never earn out that advance and uh, never make any more money. But the other ways to make money is like, especially school visits. Right. Um, and you're selling more books at those school visits and you're in the classroom with kids, which is so amazing. Yeah. If the kids aren't in the classroom, you're not making that money. Right. So a lot of us have had pay cuts in yeah. really surprising ways, yeah. uh, for that reason. Yeah. And so I think, it's like, do I go and get a job, like a J-O-B job? Like, I do know. I go and like, and that was when I decided to go back to school. I was kind of, it was after I'd met with my accountant um, yeah. and, or a accountant, like, yeah. uh, and it was like, man, you didn't make any money <laughs> and you're spending a lot of money and you're writing off all this stuff. He doesn't sound like this. Yeah. But, no, um, but you're like, but this is a long, like, this is one year and like, I'm right. thinking in like and a decade. There, there are years like where some years I didn't work at all. Like I couldn't, I couldn't create and I didn't sell a book yeah. and I tried to sell a few books and maybe I did a couple speaking gigs, but like it was a really low income year. And then there's some years where it's like, I get sell a movie option or something like yeah. that. And it's like, Oh, this money just came in. I know. And, uh, I just optioned a, a book last year that had come out six or seven years before that. Wow. And it's like just you a phone call comes in one stuff. day. Yeah. And it's like, Oh yay, Cool money. Yeah. And so there's, it's a lot of my friends who have 
quit their job, become a full-time writer. A lot of them have gone back to their job. And that is, it's not because it's a hobbyist. It doesn't mean it's not their career, but it's like, you need health insurance. You need, you need that stability of an income. Um, and then also sometimes when your thing is to write all day long, yeah. It's like, well, I'll just check Twitter and well, I'll just right. do this. And, and like, it takes a certain kind yeah. of discipline. And everything, that, because yeah. everything's research, which is great when you're writing off stuff for your taxes. Right. Um, like, I, oh, so why is this book set in Hawaii? It's oh, like I, I really wanted before. to go it's to like Hawaii. A really? It's a weird, it's a tough line between like, this is a pursuit and this is a distraction. Like yes. it's a really fine line. Yes. And this is a financial distraction too and, right. and whatever. Um, so I was trying to decide like, should I go into another field and continue writing, but should I go into another yeah. field with like a guaranteed income or not? And with health insurance. Um, and I still might, I, I'm probably going to renew my teaching certification with cool. this MFA. Yeah, I was going to say like, you can teach writing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I love it. And so it's not an other job to me. It's an and it's job because it's still a. in the yeah, same umbrella. Art. Um, but it was also like, look, this is, I want to like go full in with this and really explore my craft and really yeah. like try things. Every semester I've tried a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, you, it's been a ride. Are you specifically writing mostly middle, middle and child yeah, so I've written, um, and I've I one of the books I worked on in the program I sold. So I guess like cool. in that sense, if I find quantifying, I've earned most of the money back in that sense. Um, but I've I've written I've written a historical novel in verse. Yeah, I've when you said poetry. that before, I was I've like, written, that doesn't sound like it's for kids. I've yeah. written <laughs> picture books. I've written short stories. I've written middle grade. I've written cool. chapter book. Like I, I, it's like each you do all the each time I'm just like. Oh, this is what kind of came out. And yeah. um since the very beginnings, I don't even think when I first started, I played. I think it was this I'm gonna make money on this book. Because yeah. I've gotta pay the sitter. Right. Or I've gotta like and pay you're rent. Playing now. Yes. I love that. I'll have to interview you again in like a couple of years <laughs> after you've been playing. <laughs> like And see, yeah, like well, and I well, the thing at the end of the day though, I still wanna quantify my play. Yeah. Like I still yeah. wanna it, it's been really it. hard. I had one advisor who did a lot of like side writing and a lot of like required writing assignments where it's like, I just want you to write about this topic, five pages. Cool. And I'm like, but I can't sell that. Right. And I've had to really detach from that. Yeah. Um, but I will need to reattach at some point because again, it's my career. So, right. you know, I, I, it's really like tricky. I can put on a, a pretty dress and twirl around and write poetry um, which in, in the fields of Utah, like yeah. fun yeah. and great and definitely has value, but I also need to go again, write the yeah. book that's contracted that I'm making the money right, for. Right, right, Oh, it's tricky stuff. It all is. Yeah. It's good though. Like it's, and it's, it's a, such a relief to me to talk about it. Like, cause these are just the things that it's like. It's so interesting to me, the intersection to yeah. in different creative fields yeah. of like, like you've been impacted by COVID in a totally different way than my field has been impacted. And, um, I, I don't have a lot of intersection. There's a couple things I've done since moving here with like different arts foundations or whatever, where I've been exposed to different kinds of artists, but like, how cool is it that you do this 
and I love it. Show the yeah. universality of living a creative life. It's so you like, I could I could never have anticipated how universal some of these things are. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be talking to someone who's like a chef, like something mm-hmm. that I think is like so different from what I'm doing, and like the things they say, I'm like. I've never heard someone put this feeling into words mm-hmm. in a way that rings as true as you just did. But then I find the opposite also, like I find, you know, people will sit in this chair that you're in and say things to me that I'm like, really? Like right. that is totally different from anything I've ever thought, which I think is like, it's beautiful evidence in both ways. Like we have these Venn diagram things that are like, mm-hmm. we are the same, like, and it makes me have faith in this, like, there's going to be a slice of like almost every person that lines up with a slice of me. Like mm-hmm. that's something I love, but it's also like, Oh my gosh, anybody can do these things that we do. Right. Cause like there are such different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels really like vast in all directions. Yeah. And there's no one right path and there's really not mistakes. And I yeah. think that that's like, Again, going back to my childhood where my like gold star, oh no, what if I fail? Um, it's all becoming, like you said. Yeah. I have, an, I have a song on my first album from 2012 called Becoming that's like about that. Oh, really? And then when Michelle Obama released her book, I yes. was like, I wrote this Michelle first. Obama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that my song is her book, but right. like this idea of like, it's not, we don't become like we're always becoming. It's mm-hmm. like some, it's an idea that's like been in my like mind for a long time um Lindsay I think we've kind of done it here so I always ask everybody unless there's like anything else you wanted to say um I always ask everybody at the end what's your dream collaboration any medium anything you want it could be like related to a a movie or an illustrator you'd love to work with or just workshopping something with another writer anything you want um, like as a writer? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Just who would you love to work with? Well, cause you said that I'm like, I want to be on Broadway, but I have no Broadway. Well, you could write for broad, <laughs> like, right. You could like work with like a, like a, you know what? Like, like if I'm, cause I'm trying to think of something that would like cross over into a different field. Yeah. And like uh, Paul Simon, yeah. his lyrics like were very formative for me. Paul so amazing. I just want to meet him and hang out. I don't know if we would collaborate so when, much. Like you said before, when creatives are talking, it's collaboration, right. whether or not we call it that. <laughs> like you're right. always kind of, there's no chit chat. Right. You're I'll write a song of, with you, Paul, though. Like, great. Call great. my agents. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel the same way about Paul Simon. Simon. Like it's poetry. Oh, yeah. it, it, one of my books, the... Okay, again, can't remember the words before the book starts. The prologue. Epi- it's epid- epilogue. <laughs> I have a Paul Simon quote at the beginning cool. of one of my books. And uh, yeah, it is. it should be actually a lot of lyrics. If you read them, I find so much value in just yeah. reading them because sometimes you're like, oh, that's what it's saying? Totally. I feel uh, the same way. Whoops. Or, yeah. oh, that's actually, that's yeah. actually, I did it. That's very profound. And uh, I find that in Paul Simon's work uh, to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So there's my collab. Great. I love it. I love it. And then finally, where can people find your work and find you? So my website is uh, Lindsay Levitt at, well, L-I-N-D-S-C-Y-L-E-A-V-I-T-T. E-Y, right? E-Y. Yep. I'm an E-Y-er. Or you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. 
and to say I'm on those things that that's uh yeah may, maybe per, perhaps side is maybe the best place yes for, through my dreams um and I get I guess I'm on Facebook too okay cool. and uh also you know google me yeah see see what happens. I googled you last night and read many things <laughs> so there are things to I, be and read. so many things I've tried to erase <laughs> too so it was mostly just like bios and bios and links to books and bios and and which again we started with me saying like bios i hate bios so um just don't find me in person because that's weird yeah and um (laughs) yeah yeah. find Lindsay online if you want to talk to her and her website and um your books are at the king's english and everywhere else yes wherever fine books are sold always encourage uh the king's english certainly Uh, and also audible on a few of them. Oh, really? or, That's great. Is that, yeah. Audible. Yeah. Um, print. That's awesome. some of my books are out of print, so maybe in a rare bookstore or like Goodwill. Cool. <laughs> Lindsay, it was so lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. so much. Thanks for listening to artifice. Our theme song is as you are from my album masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.